This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! And welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You'll drop Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Dendren shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. But first up, while they've been incredible in their debut season of the A-League women's competition, finishing an agonising point off the premiership, the Western United women's team got a semblance of revenge against the Sydney FC team who conquered them with a thrilling 1-0 upset over the Premiers on their home turf to advance to the grand final where either the Sky Blues or a rampant Melbourne victory await. The man who's engineered this stunning season is their coach Mark Torcaso, Torcaso making a big name for himself and looking to go one better than their men's side who won the grand final in their second year in the competition. Then our focus shifts to the thrilling title race in the English Premier League with Arsenal wobbling, Manchester City coming home like a steam train, a desperate relegation battle and a mid-table chasing European football. So with seven match days to go, we'll wound it up from top to bottom of the ladder with our great mate from the Athletic, Rob Tanner. And of course, we'll wrap it up with Rob with World Cup Corner with Willem Edge. Um, it's been it will be a busy show, but um, but we had a good weekend, mate. Um, out uh, watching the the Melbourne Derby uh, at Casey Fields in the rain, uh, family and friends. But it felt like it could have been played at a hundred thousand seats stadium for the for the quality of entertainment that we uh, that we got to see. Yeah, the A League Women Finals they kicked off with a bang, didn't they, Robert? Melbourne victories three Pete is well and truly alive after an epic uh, A-League women's uh, minor semi-final. Um, we'll talk about that through the course of the show. Willem's got a bit of information on that as well. And, and Sydney FC in the A-League women's, they look like they've got the wobbles just like Arsenal. They've they've uh, thrown up a, 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 a result that is uh, a little bit unexpected. They played extremely well but couldn't get uh, the job done at Western United uh, in their first A-League women's season. They're off to the grand final. And it's probably worth just mentioning that if Melbourne victory by some um, by some um, stroke of luck or good fortune beat Sydney FC next Saturday at Allianz Stadium, we'll have uh, at Parramatta the two Melbourne teams in the A-League Women's Grand Final, which will just frank that that decision to um, host grand finals in Sydney was a stinker. Yeah, oh, mate, the Sydney people will just come out in their droves, won't they? They'll be, they'll pack the, the joint. Yeah, a little bizarre. We'll talk about it during the course of the game. Uh, Derek, um, I, I know um, you have tried to keep the lid on it to the best of your ability and um, and you've been prepared for, well, not inevitable, but uh, but Arsenal were always going to, uh, if they manage to, to, to win the title this year, um, have uh, Manchester City sort of, Make a, an almighty effort to run them down. Um, this uh, this title race is going to go to the wire now, isn't it? I don't know if it's going to go to the wire actually, because I think um, Sissy will probably end up winning it quite comfortably. Uh, it's probably not what you wanted to hear me say, but I feel like the initiative is very, oh, I very much. I, I want to see the reaction of you two guys. Yeah. I got the I got the joy <laughs> of watching Liverpool win. I, I actually I know it might sound a mm. little bizarre, but I actually want to see them win. I've had enough of seeing, mm. mate. I, I, I hope they they get the result. But maybe we're just seeing a little bit of the inexperience of this team. It is the youngest team in the division, um, so that not many of them have been there and done it. So. Um, yeah, and when you've got a you know a terminator like uh, Manchester City uh, embodied by Haaland, you know you're always looking over your shoulder and just the way that the uh, the fixtures have fallen that Arsenal have had to play after City a few times now, the pressure's always on. So it's not done and dusted, but uh, I certainly feel that the uh, impetus is very much now in Manchester. Harry Sutar found that out on the weekend with Leicester. Uh... Um, had um, had to, to face a rampant city and Erling Brad Harland um, in in all of his glory. So no, that was a that was a reality bite for him too. So oh, well, look, well, hey, you know we're going to enjoy these last couple of months of the season, and um, you never know, you never know what could happen, mate. If they step up, Mikel Arteta, I don't think he's uh, he's uh, got any other plans than um, than uh, to to uh, to try and uh, drag his side over the line. So yeah, we'll talk to a, a bit more during the course of the show. Willem, uh, mate, how are you, buddy? Uh, you um, you've got it all uh, lined up for us, mate. All the news of the week. 
Yeah, I want to jump back to the A-League women's. Rob, Western United, as we said, are through to their maiden A-League grand final. Stats certainly don't always tell the picture, but it was, I believe, a record 25 shots on target from Sydney FC to three. One of those three came from Hannah Keane, and that was enough. Uh, that sees them now host the decider at Parramatta on April 30. Hannah Keane wants the ball in the middle, but maybe a little bit ambitious. Carly Johnson, though, might have the energy in the cross. Swings it into Keane! Western United have scored, and it's the golden boot, Hannah Keane. Sydney now meet Melbourne Victory in Saturday's semi-final at Allianz. Jeff Hopkins aside, uh, as you guys said, defeating Melbourne City on penalties in a thriller at Casey Fields. Looking forward, Edge, to getting to know Mark Torcaso momentarily, but take us back to Casey Fields. Victory v City, three goals, three votes. M airs. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Um, I think three votes, maybe Casey DeMont, but Malia DeMont, yeah, Casey's so, field. Yeah, it was Casey's <laughs> field, wasn't it? But, uh, you know, Robin, I, I convinced Rob to make the long trek out to Casey Fields because it is a long trek. I felt like <laughs> I was driving to uh, Tasmania that was that far away. But, um, yeah, no, been there before and it's an AFL field. So for spectators, it's a, it's a very... It was a very tough day at the office if you're a spectator, but what an epic contest we had. Melbourne yeah. victory went down a goal. Um, you know, Melbourne City were well on top in the first half and then um, a 20-minute spell by Melbourne victory just after half time, where Melina Ayres was uh, at her spectacular best, scoring three goals. Um, they had a comfortable 3-1 lead, but then Melbourne City wrestled the initiative back and, uh, and uh, Melbourne victory conceded another you know, last-minute goal to send it into extra time and um, it just it felt like last, last minute mate last 10 seconds I mean we, right. uh, we, we were when we were there we were watching the replays on my phone on Paramount plus and we had the stopwatch down counting the seven minutes and literally yeah 10 seconds to go in in stoppage time when that that Eliza went in yeah that's right and and, and in uh, extra time Melbourne City looked like they were finishing the stronger so Melbourne victory hung on but then to um um, to go into the penalty shootout, and they pulled out the uh, the card of Casey Demont scoring the first one, and then uh, when Melina Ayres put the second one in, and Casey made the first save, um, it was always uh, looked like it was going to be Melbourne victory. So, um, a fantastic performance by both clubs at that game, um, and it was a real uh, privilege to see it all unfold in front of us, wasn't it, Rob? No, oh, no, it really was. I mean, we. Um, uh... We obviously are disappointed about the um, the venue, the fact that there, there couldn't be a better venue um, somewhere more accessible for people to get to. Uh, I think even a lot of family um, might not have made the effort to go out to, to games, let alone uh, uh, the broader spectator group of City and, and Victory. But once you'd put that to one side and you thought, Look, this uh, this women's game in this country is on a trajectory. We've got the World Cup in about five minutes, so things are going to continue to build and build, and, and the infrastructure will will eventually come. And and and, and days like uh, or venues like uh, Saturdays will will be uh, uh, remnants of, of the past. But what we saw on the field was a, a professional approach from well-drilled, skilled players. Uh, committed and passionate about the game that they love and uh, and we really did um, enjoy um, you know what was uh, you know a, a game that could easily easily have been played in front of a full house at, at Amy Park uh, if um, if the uh, the A leagues had have chosen to go there well yeah, no AFL in Melbourne, no A-league men's, no rugby league, no super rugby if that's not clear air to play it in Melbourne, I don't know I don't know where we're at. Doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, well done to the two of you being the two in the 742 who are, who braved the cold and the rain at Casey. Uh, Melbourne City, if they have their way over the next five to seven or eight years or so, might be moving down to Casey Fields. For now, they've sealed their third consecutive A-League men's premiership, becoming just the second side after Sydney City from 1980 to 82 uh, to achieve that feat in National League history. It's the first piece of men's silverware for Rado Vidasic, 11 years after first managing in the league. Uh, he's overseen 18 of the 24 games, so well on Rado. Uh, elsewhere, Sydney FC put four past the glory to open up a three-point gap inside the top six, while, funnily enough, seems odd to say, Western United kept their championship defence alive uh, with a 1-0 win over Adelaide. But Edge, uh, that puts City second in terms of our all-time premierships, level with South Melbourne, Melbourne Victory, Sydney United and Marconi. If things play out the way we sort of expect them to, they will have played in the last four grand finals. They need to win it this year to make it 2 all. Uh, if they don't, it's it's one from four years at the top. 
Yeah, not only are they successful, they're the uh, Socceroos factory, aren't they? They've produced an incredible amount of Socceroos. Melbourne City, congratulations to them. They are a benchmark club in our A-League men's competition and uh, they'll be hot favourites to do the the uh, premiership plate and championship win at the same time, won't they, win on? Uh, they will. Adelaide had a wobble on the weekend against Western United, but I still think they're a pretty good, uh, pretty good shot for the championship. Over back to the UK, the UK and Ireland have finalised the 10 venues they hope will host the 2028 Euros with the yet-to-be-built Bramley Moor Dock in Liverpool and Casement Park in Belfast on the list. Also included are Hampton Park, Wembley and Cardiff's Principality Stadium, although Old Trafford and Dublin's Croke Park have been dropped from the long list. UEFA's executive committee are expected to decide its hosts in September. Turkey are the only other bid in the running. Uh, the leaders of all four nations within the uh, conglomerate bid have said it's going to be the biggest sporting event our islands have ever jointly staged. Derek, uh, rounding out the list, St. James's Park, Villa Park, White Hart Lane, the Etihad, Dublin's Aviva Stadium. Um, looks like great fun. Yeah, I think they've selected a really good range of stadia there. I reckon understand why they didn't go for uh, for uh, Old Trafford, because uh, it's a shithole. Um, I don't know, with Arsenal, I think they're competing against Tottenham's shiny new toilet bowl. So obviously you were going to um, get that one, and Tottenham have got a go-kart track, of course, now underneath the stadium too. So who knows, uh, you know, uh, who wouldn't want that? And obviously the, the Bramley Moor is an exciting one. I'm sure it'll be a key part of the bid, being having new stadia and fresh stadia there, and of course, seeing it touching every part of the of the United Kingdom and Ireland. I'm really excited about it. I could see it bringing the whole kind of region together. I want to put my hand up for Turkey and say that some of the stadiums in Turkey are sensational, and it would be equally a fantastic event in Turkey, in Istanbul and Ankara. And uh, considering what they've been through, it might uh, help their economy along a little bit too. Yes, so they are in the uh, the running for 28, but also 32 as well. So they've gone the uh, the double bid. So perhaps, uh, look, I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be the UK and Ireland, but perhaps that one will uh, will fall and both will uh, both will win the prize. Socceroos, Abitilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to close. Don't forget the 2024 Asian Cup will be upon us before you know it. So jump on ggatravel.com.au, register for the mailing list for free and be among the first to know when packages for the tournament go on sale. We might have buried the lead. Edge and Rob the Matildas were two new winners over England in Brentford last week through Sam Kerr and a maiden international goal for Charlie Grant. That snapped England's 30-game unbeaten run, which ran through last year's Euros. The Matildas now have just their July 14 warm-up against France before they meet Ireland uh, in that World Cup opener. Edge, a back four of Grant, Claire Hunt, Polkinghorne and the returning Carpenter keeping what Vince Regari has called a clean sheet for the ages. Yes, and uh, Charlie Grant, congratulations. It was a lovely goal that she scored. It did take a deflection, but uh, you, you'll take that every day of the weekend. Um, as well as Charlie has done, um, I would like to see Steph Catley back in that back four. And if um, Catley is there, I fully anticipate uh, that might be the starting lineup against Ireland in the back four, Willem. Yeah, no, it was uh, an, an excellent result. And uh, I know I'm going to expand on it more in my uh, team of the week in stoppage time later in the week. And uh, if I give it a bit of a plug for uh, a, another podcast that um, one of our regular guests on Box to Box uh, host for the ABC, Tracy Holmes, uh, I was on a panel on uh, uh, Tracy's uh, edition of the ticket this week so if you're looking for a nice uh, uh, program that rounds up um, the, the build-up to the the world cup in australia the temperature in australia the the form of the matildas and expectations that panel uh, included uh, sam lewis who uh, made her on air debut on box to box back in 2019 the great andy harper as well so just type in the ticket on your favorite podcast catcher and uh, and you'll have a listen to that as well okay we'll keep up the theme of the women's game after the break as willem mentioned mark Caso, he's coming to the Women's A League in the first season of the Western United's presence in the competition, and pretty much taken all before him. They they won seven straight to start the season. They had a bit of a wobble late when they lost some of their international players, but they've they've resettled and they've gone ahead and beaten Sydney against the odds up in Sydney to to be the first team in the grand final. So for the first time on Box to Box, we're going to have a chat to Mark after the break. Hey, it's time to talk about our good friends at Chemist Warehouse. Now, Derek and Michael, I was down at Chemist Warehouse today in Hawthorne East, just off Turak Road there, getting my flu jab for 1999. I tell you, I didn't even feel the needle go in. Uh, have you guys had yours yet? 
I have, Rob. I've had my flu injection and I feel 100%. Excellent. And Derek, I know you've been a bit sniffly. You're the one with the, the brand new baby, Henry Patrick, in the household and little Maeve, three years old, mate. Uh, those little ones, they bring home all sorts of uh, uh, lurgies. Have you had yours yet or have you booked to go? No, I actually had mine today, Rob, and uh, thankfully it was offered by my employers, but if they had not uh, offered it to me, I would have been straight down to Chemist Warehouse to get it done, because you're right, uh, the home is now a bona fide disease factory. Sure. So, so you make sure if you haven't done it, so all three of us have done it, uh, you've got to get that quadrivalent vaccine. It helps protect you against the four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect. Book your appointment now, wherever you are in Australia, because it takes a community to build immunity. It's quick, convenient and affordable. Plus, you don't need to bring in a script. The prescription and administration are provided in store by a qualified health professional. This year, the quadrivalent strain is $19.99 at Chemist Warehouse. So build your immunity and book your flu immunisation today at chemistwarehouse.com.au slash flu. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Western United's maiden A-League women's campaign got off to the hottest possible start, and while they were ultimately pipped for the Premiership, it feels only fitting that they will contest Sunday week's grand final. It's a pleasure to welcome the man who has led the club's women's program from its infancy right to the biggest stage, Mark Torcaso. Congratulations, and welcome to box to box Thanks very much, guys. How are we, right? Yeah, really well, thank you. 1-0 winners over Sydney FC on Sunday to book your place in the granny. Lopsided on the shot tally, but not on the tally that matters. Uh, your reflections on Sunday afternoon? Um, yeah, I mean, looking at the... Obviously, that, that was an interesting stat because it was something like 24 shots um, hit, hit at us. And uh, the interesting, interesting thing for me was out of the 26, I think 14 maybe of them were actually just standard catches. So for that, I mean, yes, it was lopsided, but um, for us it was also very important that we knew we were playing against a good side. So um, we wanted to defend well and get a sucker punch goal, and it actually worked out that way perfectly. You spoke proudly in the uh, press conference post-game of the the 12 girls who have stepped up from NPL level for their first taste of of National League level, uh, professional level, we'll call it, this season. What were your expectations pre-season, and did you have to reassess them, and where did you land after those seven straight wins first up? Um, it was like we knew it was going to be challenging. Obviously, a new team, uh, fresh players, you know, players that have so, sort of literally just walked into an A League environment. So getting that balance right, and the and the players that could um, you know come in and have an impact on helping them was critical for us. So having people like Chloe Legazzo and and Jess McDonald, and you know even people like Hannah Keane and stuff was going to be very important for us to, I guess, set the culture that we wanted, but more importantly, be you know competitive. Um, seven and zero was definitely competitive, so I was pretty happy at that point. Um, that's probably around the time that we started to think that we could really be a good side in this competition. Um, so at that at that point, it was literally, we had set it up. Um, you know, the foundations were set, and it was just now to, to run with it. And I guess we're here now and <laughs> going into a grand final. Mark, um, I'll just pick up on that, uh, that connection to the NPL in Victoria, those players, obviously the Taranto sisters, uh, Alana Cerne, um Stacey Papadopoulos, uh, also Julia Sardo. There's many, many more, Emma Robers. Um, in the football community, in the women's football community over the last uh, six or seven years, a lot of talented Victorians have been enticed to go to New South Wales because there was a perception that the New South Wales Premier League was the place to push um, you, uh, people's uh, credentials for you know, uh, junior and young Matildas and, and so forth. Um, do you feel like the Victorian Premier League has stood up strong and uh, and uh, got the job done for you? Because that nucleus of players and the relationship with you in your previous role uh, at Calder, which you had enormous amount of success, uh, you sort of uh, give it a bit of a tick that, that, that NPL's provided you with a nucleus of a, and a backbone of a team that's, uh, that's gone on to do the job in the A-League women's competition as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if we even look at the, the Melbourne Victory side that's been successful over the last couple of seasons, um, you know, I'd say 60, probably 70% of that side has come from the Victorian NPL um, as well. So, um, you know, in regards to that, it's, it's I guess, um, you know, we made a statement here in Victoria over the last few years that we, we've got good enough players that should be playing at the next level. And to have three teams uh, from Victoria in the finals, um, you know, in the top four in the A-League was, was remarkable. So, you know, it, I guess it shows that we have got the good quality players here and Western getting a licence and being 
um, you know, given the opportunity to showcase that was a very big part of what I wanted to try and do is make sure that the players that were left behind um, or missed out on opportunities were given that opportunity. And, you know, as you said, it's a proud moment for me to be able to see, you know, sit here and say there's 12 girls that have come out of an NPL system that have never played A-League before um, that, you know, are going to be up for selection to play in a grand final, you know, against either Melbourne Victory or Sydney who have been the, the benchmark for this league for ever since it started. So, um, for us in our first year to be able to compete with those type of teams with a group of NPL players um, that are capable is, is very proud. I'm, I'm absolutely excited. Tell us about Hannah Keane, Golden Boot winner. She's not unknown to Australian uh, women's football fans, in particular she played in the NPL in Victoria many years ago. But um, what gave you the confidence that Hannah could come to Australia and, and deliver for you at uh, A-League women's level? Yeah, Hannah was someone that we literally year one of the MPL um, in Victoria 2016 was someone that came out here with Alamein and um, she had actually come out here to play uh, and to try and secure a contract in that first season in the A-League after that MPL season and um, I watched her and, and just saw that this talent was unbelievable in that first year. She only played about 12 games I think in the MPL then but she was uh, an absolute beast of a woman. Like She was just powerful and strong and could score goals and I knew she was destined for something special and um, she didn't get the uh, the contract that she wanted at Melbourne City in that first year, even though she trained right up until the last. Um, but once she left our shores, I literally kept track in everything that she was doing because I just had this thing that one day if anything ever eventuated with me as a coach in the A-League that I'd fall back on, on her and go to her. Um, and it worked out that way. You know, I literally reached out to her uh, 12 months ago and said, if this A-League setup gets... Put together, um, I would love for you to be part of it, and she jumped on it straight away. We we stayed in contact for all that time as well. So, um, yeah, she's been a, a an absolutely amazing play for us and for our league. And it's great to show that she was more than capable. Um, you know, previous years she wasn't given the chance, but to give the, being given the chance now and score and be the leading goal scorer is amazing. Certainly is, and she's made a big impact. And what a great goal! She took her chance and uh, and got you the uh, the win on the weekend. Um, tell us about Angie Beard's injury. We know Angie well. Um, she's been a captain of Melbourne Victory, uh, reigning uh, two time uh, champions uh, in the finals playoffs. Um, but she stepped in a hole. It looked a bit nasty. Is she okay? Yeah, it was interesting because the the surface of that pitch was it was not up to the standard that we expected. To be honest. Um, Arriving at Allianz Stadium, you know, brand new stadium. Um, we expected a pristine um, surface to get told that the Waratahs had played on the, played on there the night before, which made me assume that the pitch wasn't going to be great. But it was it was literally a sand pit. Um, I don't know if you guys could see it from the from yeah, the visual. Yeah, terrible on the on the yeah. screen as well. Yeah, every pass that was made, um, you could see sand coming up. But literally on field, it was sand everywhere. And, um, I don't know if that's contributed to the rolled ankle um, that that she's caused. Uh, that that's that's been that's happened. Um, she's going to get some scans done this afternoon. Uh, she already got them done. Sorry, this afternoon. Probably get a few more things done tomorrow, and we'll see how she is. Um, the reality is, you know, Angie Beard's a very special player to us, and she's been a special player to Australian football for many many years. Um, hopefully, she's you know hasn't caused any any big issues, but. Um, I'm confident in, in the rest of our group to, you know, if Angie is out, that we'll be capable to, to get out there and, and do the best that we can. And what's your program now? Will you look to play um, some match simulation in the week off? What will you? How will you approach the fact that you've got a week off now? And considering that the previous week was an international break, it's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Only one game before you go into the grand final will be what, one game in 20-odd days or whatever it is. But um, are you going to do anything different um, what's your approach to pre preparations? Probably be very similar to what it was going into this game uh, with the week off, uh, with the international break the week before. So uh, we will we'll prepare very similar to that. Um, we'll do our normal match sim probably on a Thursday or Friday this week. Um, we're lucky enough to have some fantastic train-ons that come through our, our program through Calder. Um, so they'll probably come in and do some stuff with us on a Thursday and a Friday and um, probably let the girls enjoy the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and go and support our men's team on, on Saturday as well. Um, and then really get stuck into it Monday uh, and prepare ourselves for, for whoever whoever we play. Um, yeah, and just looking forward to that, more importantly. And uh, last one for me when I before I hand back to Willem is how noisy was the plane ride home? Uh, yeah, it was pretty rowdy, to be honest. Um, 
everyone was was pretty was was buzzing. It was it was a good night. Like the girls really uh, really enjoyed yesterday and the celebrations of it all after. And I'm just proud of this group to be able to get into a grand final. You know, even to get this far as as a whole in the season. So, you know, everything from last week going into yesterday was a bonus. And and obviously this is a big a big carrot for these girls just to show that they're capable. And you know, who knows? Someone might get picked up in a national team. You just never know if they perform. So that that's what it is for me. You know, a winner is a winner. It's it's great to to you know obviously lift a trophy and all that type of stuff. But I think I think for some of these girls, it's just the opportunity of playing in the big stage and and you know even for myself to to support them on that. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to mostly. And Mark, if I can just ask on the club more broadly to close, obviously the first season in the women's competition, but it's been a relatively slow, more considered burn uh, behind the scenes compared to some uh, new new sides we see across both the A League men's and women's over over the journey. After the success that Michael mentioned with Calder, you were appointed Western United's first women's development coach, I believe, as far back as mid-2021. So the way it's played out, it, it looks like you you almost had the job before the club had its had its license. So fair to say that you've had a good deal of, of faith in in where the club could go and, and still what it could become. Yeah, definitely. It's um, uh, just the organisation from top to bottom. is They're so transparent. Um, they're very honest. Um you know they're real. They'll, they'll tell you exactly how things are and how things aren't. So it's 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 a credit to them that they've been able to put together a, a very good girls program. But you know with with having a very good boys program and being successful in that space too. So there's just lots lots going on um, behind the scenes at, at our club. And you know I attended the brand new training facility that's almost ready to be complete um, only a couple of days ago, and it's it's looking amazing. It's it's pretty special. So you know the club's in the right going in the right direction and. These foundations that we build and that we've built now this year is just for the future and any young girl that wants to play football, um, hopefully it just gives them uh, the opportunity to want to play A-League women's for West United one day. And can I tempt you into an answer on the uh, the grand final? You've earned hosting rights, but it's going to be hosted in Western Sydney as opposed to uh, Western Victoria or Western Melbourne? Um, yeah, it is what it is. We play wherever we have to play and we played in Sydney yesterday and we won, so um, it doesn't really matter for us where we play it. Um, I know that we'll we'll get some support there. We'll have some fantastic um, a fantastic crowd. I reckon um, neutrals or not, we'll see. It's going to be a great game, and, and we're just looking forward to whoever we play. Well, Mark, imperative really for the growth of the game that new sides come in, and when that does happen, that we see more opportunities for players that can develop in the level, and that the club can harness support uh, of the local community. So I think you've ticked both of those boxes. All the best for April thirty and for beyond. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much for having me on. Western United manager Mark Torcaso. Stick around on the other side of this. The Premier League is heating up. Edge, Rob Tanner uh, is going to be back to uh, wrap it all up. Eight weeks to go. Hey, Edge, everyone's buying Hoyt Spices, but when we were out at the uh, Casey Fields final, uh, one of the uh, Cardo family, the uh, impresarios of Hoyt's, uh, the lovely Izzy, was uh, a very influential, influential factor coming in. She almost scored the winning goal for City late. Well, she's uh, only 17 years of age and she was put on in the 75th minute and uh, she played all of the remaining uh, regular time and extra time and did very well. She got bundled over a couple of times and just like the uh, Ocado boys that are very uh, stoic and tough, she got up and got on with it. Uh, Very, very pleased to see Izzy Ocado making her name in uh, A-League Women's Football. And and, uh, little little do people know that uh, she's got the best hoits, herbs and spice rack you've ever seen in that place. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, and uh, and if uh, if she didn't go home on that cold, wet day to uh, a a bowl of her nonna's pasta spiced up with uh, herbs and spices, I'm not a very good judge. Now, Derek, you've been doing a lot of cooking as well whilst you've been at home on your paternity leave. Uh, um, anything in particular over the past week or so been uh, on the uh, on the stove top at the uh, at the Hillsville Sanctuary out there? I actually had an absolute mare yesterday, gents, because I was cooking a. Uh, quick bolognese i just needed something ballast for the family had it on the stove put my, my wheat herbs and spices in my bay leaf and my uh, my italian herb mix and then i got distracted and forgot i'd put it on the stove uh and then i came back an hour and a half later smoke all over the house and uh it was just an absolute bonfire so wasn't a good use of my hoits um last week the house now stinks but uh I will try and do better this week. 
it. Well, at least you're be honest and, um, and you know, your self-reflection, I'm sure, will, will improve because, you know, normally when we talk, you've come up with some sort of magnificent feed and uh, we're all drooling at the mouth uh, as we, uh, we wrap up the show. The, the, the dog didn't even want to eat what was left, so it was, uh, it was a sad state of affairs. All right, well, next time, you've got your homework from Willem from the main show earlier in the week. Your homework is to come in with a better feed next time. <laughs> Fill your refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. With about seven match days to go, it is getting very real in the Premier League. Three weeks ago, we talked to our good mate from The Athletic, Rob Tanner, on what ended up being the eve of Brendan Rogers sacking and Dean Smith really did get the baptism of fire. This week, we've got Rob on to do a general roundup of what we've seen over the past couple of weeks and what we expect to see the next couple of weeks. But, Rob, the first question, of course, is... Uh, yeah, baptism of fire. I guess I can't use any more appropriate words to describe uh, what happened um, to uh, to the Foxes uh, in Dean Smith's first outing there, mate. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, going to Manchester City is your first game, the start of a, a sequence of eight games to save your, your status in the Premier League and you're an interim manager. You've had just a handful of days training sessions to try and prepare the, the players. It was. It was a free hit. It felt mm, like yeah. a free hit. You go there. And it was more about, and I certainly had this mindset watching it, was it more about looking for signs of hope, things that they can take from that that game that they can put into the last seven games that can give them some sort of um, hope that they can, they can pull this off. Because uh, as each week passes and another defeat is chalked up, you know, it starts to become... Uh, even more difficult. I, I before the weekend, I thought three from nine could go. Now I think three from six could go. Um, and if they they've got three games coming up now at home to Wolves, away to Leeds, at home to Everton, mm-hmm. they're absolutely crucial. And if they if they fall in any of those three, I think it could be down to uh, three from four that go. So mm. they really have got a, a mounting issue ahead of them, a real challenge. Um, but there was, in the last 25 minutes, I did see some signs of hope. They did create chances. They had a higher XG than Man City at the mm-hmm. Etihad, which was extraordinary in the end. But they mm-hmm. didn't take those chances again, which is a familiar story. So a lot of the old failings were still on show, but there was, at the end, some signs of hope. Yeah, and as we've discussed um, on the show in the couple of weeks since we last had you on, uh, uh, there's a, there's a proper... Uh, group of coaches around Dean Smith, John Terry and Craig Shakespeare as well, people who who know their football inside out, serious football people. We're not talking about rookies off the bench here their first time around. And and as I was watching the the various uh, uh, matches and, and different highlights packages without knowing the score when I got up Sunday morning our time, it did sort of feel like that some of the other results were were going Leicester's way um, in that um, Everton couldn't um, uh, advance their position uh, well, Leeds uh, haven't played yet, but um, but you know, you'd uh, uh, think that that they um, are, uh, you know at, least, at the very least they're at home, so that they do uh, get a chance against um, Liverpool tomorrow morning our time, um, evening yours, and uh, and then obviously Nottingham Forest um, as well, staying you know, pretty much anchored to the bottom. So the Foxes have got to be a, 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 at least mathematically within that cut off um, from probably about sixteenth down. You think? Uh, I mean, even West Ham aren't safe um, yet so probably even 15th yeah yeah at the moment I would say Bournemouth the, the form they're on hmm. uh, they've probably got themselves uh, pretty safe probably a result away from making themselves safe Wolves uh, Diego Costa scored at last for them so you know they're starting to show uh, a bit of consistency again Crystal Palace certainly have since Roy Hodgson come in and I think he was the reason they decided to um, get rid of Brendan because they saw that bounce that he had um, at Crystal Palace on the uh, the last game that Brendan was in charge. So I'd say those three now. So it's West Ham, Leeds, Everton, Forest, Leicester, Southampton. Three from them, I, I suspect it's going to go down to. And um, that's why, you know, those next three fixtures for, for Leicester are so important. Um, you know, beginning with that um, home game against Wolves, then that trip to Leeds, which will be huge. And then the home game against Everton and then their home form has been really disappointing this season. Well, their form in general has been disappointing, but their away form, 
when you look at it statistically is um it, it, it's it's actually been quite good in terms of four wins and one draw i know there's the 11 defeats but they've picked up you know they're 13 points they've only picked up 12 at home so you know that they have struggled at home they have struggled with the expectations of the fans um because obviously nobody was expecting Leicester to be in this predicament. They finished fifth, fifth and eighth. They all thought they'd be challenging for, or at least be mid-table this season. And it just hasn't transpired like that. And that has caused tension in the crowd. That has caused, you know, it doesn't take much for the opposition to get uh, a bit of um, a bit of uh, belief in their game in the early start starts of games. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a tense atmosphere at the King Power Stadium, but they really need that, that place rocking now, like it was in 14-15 when they were in a much worse position. They were bottom of the table and they managed to win seven of the last nine to, to survive. So they need a bit of that spirit from 14-15. The question is whether this group of players, this squad of players, have got that same camaraderie, that same hope and belief that that group had because um, they suddenly just ignited. Um, and I think it was the home game against West Ham which in which they did that. And then they went away to West Brom and got another win. And these were crucial games at the time, sizing and around them near the bottom. So... Um, they need a little bit more of that starting against Wolves. And looking long-term at the management situation, Rob, it must be quite difficult because I suppose they can't really make any decisions until they know which division they're in. It might dictate the type of manager that they might want to sign. Are there are there any ideas about who um, long-term might they might be looking at? Has Dean Smith kind of got the opportunity to, to have a free hit here as a, an audition and are they going to even if they do stay in the Premier League would they struggle to get the kind of caliber of manager that they might have been expecting to get because of the sort of general malaise around the club well the, the long-term plan they always have a, a succession plan for managers and players well they did have until the last um, couple of transfer windows um, the long-term plan was to go for Graham Potter now Potter was obviously taken out the loop when Chelsea came in they they were starting to reassess then they liked Thomas Frank at Brentford and they thought if they're a side a club that are consistently challenging for European qualification that might uh, tip it in their favor they could uh, then perhaps entice these pl- players uh, sorry these managers to to come to the club things have obviously changed now Potter is available and that's why they went for an interim they thought if they could get somebody in that can keep them up then um Potter will be refreshed, recharged from his experience against Chelsea and he might see Leicester now as a great opportunity to come in. It's a huge job, by the way, because there's a massive squad rebuild. Seven players are leaving in the summer. Um, There's another eight that are going into the last year of their contracts. It's an enormous rebuild of that squad with limited finances because of the financial fair play regulation. So it's not an easy job, but it might be one that could tempt somebody like Potter to come out and have a go because he did something similar at Brighton. Um, Obviously, if they go down to the championship, that's different. And that's what half the problem was, why it took eight days to get Smith in, because they were approaching a lot of candidates and they were um, either intimating that they weren't interested in getting involved in a relegation battle in, in with such a short space of time and a few games to go. There was others who were saying, if there's a prospect going into the championship, we're not interested either. So, I mean, they, they sort of stumbled on, on Smith, uh, Shakespeare and John Terry. But if they do go down, but in their last seven games, they they see something in them and the players respond to them in some way. Even if they go down, there's a chance that Smith could be offered the job. And the game Leicester were involved in, of course, was against Manchester City. And looking at the other end of the table, it, it feels like it's a pretty decisive weekend in the title race. Uh, obviously, Arsenal dropped points against West Ham and City uh, were relatively comfortable in the end against Leicester, do you, do, you, do you feel, Rob, that the pendulum just swung, you know, quite dramatically towards Manchester City and with that game in hand and the game at the Etihad, it's now theirs to lose rather than Arsenal's to lose? Absolutely. I mean, I got to the stadium, we were expecting because they're, you know, halfway through a, a two-legged quarterfinal of the Champions League with Bayern. Um, I was expecting Haaland to be rested on the bench. I was expecting De Bruyne to be on the bench. No, they all started. And I was asking a few people around, I said, oh, that, that was unexpected. I thought they would play Alvarez up top and give a few others a game. And they said, well, we can't afford to. They just can't afford to drop any points. 
now because it's getting to that stage where if you know if you drop some points and Arsenal get a victory, it's the gap's too big. So they are completely focused. They are in end of season mode, Man City now. They they are in winning mode. Um, they've got aspirations for for the you know they've got FA Cup semi final as well. So they've got aspirations on three fronts really to to lift silverware, and you can sense that around the place. You know they 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 they're focused. And um, so I, f- I felt that they, when I saw that lineup, you know, then they blew Leicester away in the first 25 minutes. I thought this side means business. They're not here to, to finish second. And um, that put pressure on Arsenal. I mean, that's the nature of this end of the season. We experienced it, you know, following Leicester in 15, 16. Because you're um, near the top of the table, the TV companies pick you to play at various times. And normally, usually it's like after your rival. So the pressure then is heaped upon you. And Arsenal, what can you say? I mean, Tuna up and it's supposedly cruising, and then uh, they've dropped points, and and suddenly it's getting interesting. And on the twenty sixth, is that there's a, that huge clash between the two of them, and everything's at stake now. Um, Arsenal looked comfortable, but Man City are slowly pulling them back in and reeling them back in. So that is going to be a huge, huge game. In terms of the makeup of the top four, top six, and the final one from me. There's a few cats amongst the pigeons uh, this year, namely uh, Aston Villa and Brighton. I think uh, Villa in particular have come into some some rare form and uh, and are performing well under Unai Emery. Is you you cover the sort of Midlands beat, Rob? What's your assessment of where Villa are at? You know, can they maintain this push for a top six seven finish? And 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 while other clubs like Spurs and Chelsea and Leicester are scurrying around looking for managers. Uh, Villa made, you know, took took this punt on Unai Emery, and how well is that working out? Oh, fantastic! I mean, I saw them at Villa Park against Leicester when Unai just first come in, and Leicester won four um, two that day. Came back from uh, from behind, and um, I wasn't overly impressed. I thought they were vulnerable at the back. They made a lot of mistakes in midfield. But then when I saw them, when they came to the King Power Stadium, I was incredibly impressed with how they, they were set up. That midfield of Buendia, uh, Douglas Luiz, um, John McGinn was working superbly. They bossed the game that day. And they've got a striker in Ollie Watkins that is so in form at the moment. He, he looks like he's going to score every game. He's eschewing to be in the next England squad, the way the form that he's showing at the moment. Defensively, they look OK. Sometimes I, I look at Tyrone Mings and think he's got a mistake in him. Um, but Cons has come on as well. Um, I think I think against Leicester, um, Ashley Young was starting to show his age a little bit. A few times he got burnt by Ivy Barnes for the one goal, but you know he's got all that experience as well. He talks to people around him. They are a really good, strong side at the moment. If they had a few injuries, that might upset the apple cart as it does for every side when you start losing key players to injuries at this stage of the season. But at the moment, they're pretty much all there and. Um, Confidence is really high. The fans are f- fully behind them, and they are an enormous club. Um, I mean, it pains me to say it, being a Birmingham City fan, but um, the Cross City rivals are an enormous club, a huge fan base, and that can work for you and against you. At the moment, it's working for you because they're fully behind and invested in Unai Emery and the players. Um, so that that uh, does does feel like the twelfth man sometimes. Um, it can go against you when it, things aren't going so well and they turn on you. But uh, similar to Newcastle in many respects. Um, but um, yeah, they are going really strong at the moment. I think, you know, there's Brighton have got a couple of games in hand on them. Um, they're trying to close down. I mean, Champions League, you know, they're still six points away off Newcastle, even though they did dispatch Newcastle at the weekend comfortably. So I think uh, Europa League has got to be their target and, and, and take it from there for next season. And Rob, before we let you go, um, predictions with less than a couple of months to go for uh, the title and relegation? Uh, I think it's going to go, the title is going to go all the way to the wire, but I'd, I've got a feeling Man City are going to catch Arsenal. I think that that uh, game at the Etihad a week on Wednesday is going to be enormous. I can see Man City winning that. And then the gap's one point. And then you're going into those final few games of the season and anything can happen. But I think Man City are just in that mode now. They're just they've just they're experienced. They've been in this situation before. Arsenal haven't for a long time. And I, I wonder whether that experience and that knowledge about how to handle the end of the season like this, when every there's so much pressure on every fixture, um, whether that's going to be the the, the the deciding factor in the end. In terms of relegation, 
Uh, Southampton looked to me to be gone. And then it, uh, as I said, it's it's another two from the next five above. I just want to see against Wolves, Leicester put in that, that performance that we know. I, I just mentioned the win at Villa and they followed that with a, a 4-1 win over Tottenham. That's the Leicester we need to see if they're going to have any chance. But it's starting to look really ominous for them. Uh, Forest are, are just on a terrible run as well. So at the moment, the encouragement is for Everton, Leeds and West Ham because they've got their fate in their hands. They're out of the relegation mm-hmm. Uh, zone and um, you know Leeds against Liverpool is going to be huge tonight as well for them. Mm-hmm. If they get a result, they're going to be buoyed. It's getting increasingly difficult for for those bottom three to get out of trouble. That is Rob. Well, Rob, um, what is an increasingly difficult is uh, our um, pleasure that we take whenever we talk to you, my friend, um, about uh, the Premier League. Um, it's it's great to have a yarn to you again, mate, and um, and we'll we'll talk again probably in a few weeks before it all wraps up. Absolutely, mate. Wonderful. Rob Tanner from The Athletic. Okay, stick around. We're going to talk World Cup Corner next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we do, wrap it up with uh, well, less than 100 days to go to the World Cup. Uh, with a World Cup corner. Willem, what have you got for us this week, buddy? Rob, you spoke last week of your disappointment in the ticket purchase process, how you struggled to get the uh, the, the ticket that you, you are entitled to, having um, Alexander in, in his wheelchair and needing to have the uh, the carer seat alongside. This week, there's been a flood of, of similarly disappointed fans, many of who uh, jumped in on October's pre-sale window. Uh, a lot of frustration and disappointment around the use of, of first come, first serve, when in fact, uh, people couldn't actually purchase uh, specific seats. Uh, it looks like Category A has been taken to stretch from the pitch right back to the uh, the very top of the stand. So although you might be on the broadcast side, uh, if you like, uh, that doesn't sort of uh, keep you uh, keep you from uh, the nosebleed. So I thought we'd have this chat this week with Edge, uh, who, who probably knows these sort of FIFA major event uh, ticketing uh processes better than most obviously not your standard ticket tech or, or ticket master operation what goes into to ticketing for for world cups well i think there's a few things to sort of mention off the top is that um probably the first one is that um i think the australian public um may have underestimated the popularity of this event and not fully appreciate that there is a big chunk of every stadium that's put aside for fifa stakeholders being officials, sponsors, hospitality, competing teams, all the federations around the world get allocations of tickets. Um, so all, you know, that, that's a big chunk of the stadium. But also, I think there is um, an expectation by the Australian public because of the way that we sell um, the home leagues, um, things like AFL finals, things like NRL finals, where you can go in and, and pick a seat in a particular area. That's not the case for for FIFA World Cup events. In fact, if you're overseas, most people, most people actually just want to be in the stadium. They don't care if you're in the nosebleeds because the, um, the 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 good feeling is just to be at the game in the stadium. Anywhere is anywhere is a good op- good place to be. So I think that's the sort of cultural disconnect that exists in Australia um, and, and definitely the public has us underestimated um, how popular this event is and, and, that, and people who really wanted to go needed to get organised in that first sales window. Um, the only point I would make is that there is big allocations of tickets that have been put aside for these FIFA stakeholders which as we get closer to the event uh, some of those tickets will be handed back so if you haven't got a ticket and you're still looking for a ticket you know, get onto the uh, FIFA ticket portal regularly, check the resale portal as well, and um, you might uh, uh, be surprised when you, um, you know, check at nine o'clock one night on a on a midweek when uh, FIFA's dropped some tickets back into the system. They won't tell or make any announcements about that. That just happens. Um, but this is the world of FIFA, Willem. Um, it is what it is. Um, these events are uh, highly regarded. And, and I think FIFA has been surprised at the popularity of the ticket sales in Australia. And I know there's been discussions uh, at FIFA about uh, them uh, selling tickets in Australia too cheaply. 
A-League finals are on at the minute as well, Michael. Real last sort of chance saloon opportunity for a, a few of our sort of fringe Matildas to stake their claims. I'm going to throw some names at you and need some uh, rapid-fire responses. Holly McNamara at City. Well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Holly made the long trek over to uh, England uh, in for the Scotland and England games with the Matildas and has quickly sent straight back. Uh, there's been little coming out of the Matildas camp as to the reason to that. She did play... And she played very, very well for about 70 minutes uh, in the uh, in that minor semi-final for Melbourne City. She was a very effective player. Um, she provided the cutback, uh, the, the, the run and cutback for Polisina's first goal. So um, I'm just interested to see with Holly, maybe it was a load issue. Maybe the medical and strength and conditioning people thought she might not have coped with the load issues over uh, there. But she was uh, basically arrived and, um, and then sent straight back home. So um, that's an interesting one because we know how how good she is. But Dario Vidicic did say post-match that, you know, it's difficult coming back for an ACL and she'd only been back a few games and, uh, and you know, she was just still getting uh, her match fitness up. But she was a very effective player uh, in that minor semi-final and, uh, and we know her talent and she must be thereabouts for the Matildas. I wonder what she's going to do now between now and uh, the Women's World Cup. And Courtney Vine, similarly, uh, workload issues perhaps uh, on the go. Yeah, I was really interested to see Ante Urich uh, post-match in his comments uh, take a swipe at the Matildas program saying that he was very surprised that Courtney played uh, against Scotland and England in two games considering the load she'd had and the travel and so forth. So, yeah, uh, she hobbled off the, the field last night. She looked like she wasn't moving freely and uh, she had an ice pack on her calf. So that must be a worry the Sydney FC and Courtney Vine, because if she does do a calf, that's uh, quite an extensive uh, rehab. And uh, in light of how close the Women's World Cup is, you just don't want to be um, managing that sort of problem. Derek, sorry to leave you high and dry there, my man. I'm going to assign you some homework, as was the case with Rob and Michael a couple of weeks ago. So this time next week on World Cup Corner, we need a player to watch from the tournament. A name that we don't know, perhaps a, a rising star or... Uh, or a more seasoned veteran, take it however, however, which way you like. Uh, but yeah, we need uh, we need someone to watch, please, my friend. No problem. I'll put on my deerstalker hat and get my <laughs> my uh, clay pipe out and ponder that Sherlock Holmes style for the week. Well done, and uh, and Willem, you can be Watson, mate. All right. On that note, um, I think we might wrap it up, boys, uh, for another good show. Uh, Willem, you uh, you take a, a break on the pine, mate. It'll be uh, Edge and uh, and Derek and me this week for for stoppage time. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what you've got for me, guys. And uh, yeah, great to chat to uh, Mark Torcaso. Uh, I think he's a name that we don't know enough about as a as a general broad Australian football public, but he's clearly very uh, very switched on, very passionate, uh, and can achieve something. Pretty impressive at the first time of asking in a couple of weeks' time. So I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, well, he's already done that, mate. So winning it would just be put that cherry on the cake. Edge, um, talk to you later in the week on Stoppage Time, mate. Look forward to that, Rob. And Derek, thank you, brother. No worries. Thank you for listening to us as well as you always do. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.